We started an e-commerce footwear company eight years ago, which is actually a long time ago. And so at the right. beginning, I think we were really new to the space that we wanted to do footwear online only. And so there was a greater need for people to want to try the product on and see the product in person. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse. I'm a partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Kendall Barber and Justine Barber, sisters and co-founders of Poppy Barley. I'm excited to talk today about entrepreneurship and your journey. Welcome ladies. Thanks Heather. Thank you for having us Heather. I'd like to set the stage for our listeners and wondered whether, Kendall, you could give us a little background about yourselves and how and why you decided to go into business together. So Justine and I started Poppy Barley together in 2012. Neither one of us has a background in the footwear industry. So really, it started with Justine went on a trip to Bali. When she was in Bali, she had the experience of having a pair of tall boots made for her. And the Mm. fit and comfort of those tall boots was really fantastic. And it made her realize, like, why aren't we making shoes in a different way? So that really led Mm. to the genesis of the idea for Poppy Barley. And since then, as all businesses do, I think we've, like, pivoted and changed a lot along the way. And while we started as really a made-to-order business for tall boots, we've now shifted much more into um, being a footwear company that designs products for modern life, care a lot about sustainability and how our products are made and where they come from. We're still trying our best to provide a much broader size range by offering shoes in size 5 to 12 in three different widths for women. It's funny how, you know, when people talk about having these trips to fancy locations, Bali wouldn't exactly, you know, line up with tall boots as being sort of the reason why you would go there. But I love that, that the inspiration, you know, can come from anywhere. I think that's for people to observe that they can get this inspiration from just everyday ordinary experiences, I think is really an interesting observation for how your business kind of came together. Yeah, I think the, um, the most important shift that happened is about honestly three days before I went to Bali, I decided that I wanted to work for myself. And then after that, you just look at the world differently because you're looking for ideas and you're looking for problems to solve. And then after I made that shift, then I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. But I think like that's the difference in lens is that before I decided to be an entrepreneur, I had never had a business idea. And then I decided I wanted to do one. And then I kind of quickly saw, oh, this could be a business. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, Justine, I, that, that's a really good segue in terms of, of the concept of evolution. And can you tell us a little bit about how Poppy Barley has evolved? I, I realize we've touched on that a little bit. And what was the model when you first started? And, and what does that look like now? So not just with the tall boots in, and, you know, more to kind of other footwear, but I'm sure that there's been some other evolutions over that, that lifetime as well. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I think the three major evolutions have been first product. As mm-hmm. Kendall mentioned, we started as a made-to-order tall boot only company. We also did custom design. And within yep. six months, we saw, okay, nobody buys boots in the winter, so we needed further product. That spring, we launched a couple flats and ankle boots. Within a year, we had gotten rid of custom design. And then in year three, a really big shift that we did was to start to introduce a lot of stock, ready-to-wear footwear. And since then, Mm -hmm. it's completely flipped so that now, like, our made-to-order business is probably 3% of our revenue. Oh, wow. And the rest, yeah, it's, I mean, it's almost tiny at this point. So the shift into ready-to-wear footwear, we also added accessories. So that was on the product line. The second was how we sell. In the beginning, the plan was to be e-commerce only, which during the pandemic looked like that was really smart, actually. (laughs) Um, Right, hindsight. But (laughs) um, from the very start, from week one, we had women, can I come see them on a person? Like, can I come see the product in person? Can I come be measured in person? So we almost immediately added appointments and then a showroom and then pop-ups. And then we now have two retail locations. So that was like the how we sell method. And then the last thing was just our lens on sustainability and ethics. So we always screened our factories for ethical manufacturing. But then since then, we've we've gone a lot further into it in terms of really looking at our packaging and our materials and our supply chain and how we are as a place to work. And like we've gotten deeper into running a sustainable business. I want to pick up, obviously, this this pandemic era, um, you know, has affected every business and, and uh, has had some very devastating consequences for some businesses. And then surprisingly, also has really shone a spotlight on some businesses in terms of areas of growth or rate of adoption of technologies, for example. And I, I wonder if you can comment. So with, as you mentioned, you, you you guys started out with a with a sort of an e-commerce slant, and then you kind of shifted into a retail location after that. With the pandemic, what have you noticed from the retail landscape? And what do you think in terms of the uncertainty or the unknowns, what that might do for kind of the early uh, seed you planted in your business with the e-commerce? And what do you think that landscape looks like for you and for other retailers in the future? I think as we were talking a little bit before, I think there's been like a fundamental shift in how much like the percent of sales that are going to go online. I definitely don't think it's going to be, I think right now it's 10%. So it's still definitely a minority, but I think the pandemic has made it grow a lot faster. So we've jumped kind of 10 years in where we would be in terms of e-commerce adoption. Right. Um, Yeah. So I think it'll, I think we were lucky in some ways that going into the pandemic, about 50% of our revenue came from e-commerce. And when I look at a lot of the brands like Aldo, for example, that are currently under creditor protection and restructuring, they were about 90-10 or 85-50. So I think what's going to happen is like a long-term shift is that brands will go like at least 50% of our sales need to come online. But I don't think they'll get as disproportionate as most brands currently find themselves because a pandemic really shows how vulnerable that makes you. And what about, um, you know, picking up on the comment about the requests that you would get. So when you were sort of e-commerce only, people would say, you know, can I come in? Can I be measured in person? Can I try these on? What's people's comfort um, for that aspect now that people are adopting at a, at a, I guess, an accelerated pace 
um, the the concept of of e-commerce in the shoe look I guess in the shoe industry specifically are people still wanting to look and touch and feel and see how it how it fits them specifically or is there a greater comfort to take the risk and buy it online and you know return it if you have to I think that there is a much larger comfort in shopping online right now we started an e-commerce footwear company eight years ago which was actually a long time ago. And so at the right. beginning, I think we were really new to the space that we wanted to do footwear online only. And so there was a greater need for people to want to try the product on and see the product in person. And I think over the past eight years, we've really developed a lot of great ways that we can ensure confidence in how the shoe is going to fit, confidence in how mm-hmm. it's going to feel, and that we've been able to incorporate technology and ideas into our e-commerce platform that make shopping online even more like more comfortable and easier for people to do and so at the same time we still I think with retail there is a role for retail to play and in-person shopping but that's really shifting and it's changing again right now so those are like where the conversations that we're in right now is like okay, moving forward, what is the role of retail going to be? Because we really think that we're under a major shift again. And and probably one that isn't yet sort of plotted out, right? Like, I mean, there's a shift, but we don't exactly know where we're going to end. Um, and I think as the, you know, as the, the consequences of the pandemic and people's comfort or discomfort about being in public uh, continues to shift, that will continue to evolve, I think, for, for quite some time until we, you know, maybe land somewhere a little bit more certain. But I think it's probably a bit of a, an uncertain road ahead yet. Yeah, even before the pandemic, there was a lot of talk of the retail apocalypse, which is basically yeah. like, we have too many shopping malls, we have too many stores. And even before this, like, Businesses are going under yep. so fast because so many businesses were very, very weak. So I think already yep. there was like this huge shift um, in fashion and in retail. And then the pandemic has just like put that on steroids. Yeah. And as you say, you know, where some of these these um, businesses left, right and center are, are closing down or changing their mode of, of operation when you're in a, a retail location, like you're in a mall, for example, and the tenants that are next door to you are, are suddenly no longer there, all of a sudden, the attractiveness of, you know, a day out at the mall probably looks a lot different for the consumer, right? And so you are a bit at the mercy of kind of the, the environment around you, which which has an effect certainly on on your business as well. Yeah, we definitely yeah. saw one of the earlier benefits of being in a mall is to benefit from all the traffic that was in the mall to help build the brand. Right. And yeah. now we're really seeing that we are a destination and the work that we're mm-hmm. doing is online, um, but outside of the mall. And then we are pushing people directly to our stores, which, right. you know, really then <laughs> brings into question the economics of the rent that we should be paying to have a storefront. Right. And if we should still be in those high traffic areas, because, that high right. traffic is not there anymore. So it's it's raising a lot of questions for us. And I think right now people are being very intentional about their shopping and not just going to the mall to walk around. Um, and then right. as you touched on, there's just fewer and fewer stores. And every I feel like every day um, there's the announcement of more store closures. So the malls right, right now feel rather empty. 
And and restaurants too, right? Like even the the food locations um, that that might be attached to restaurants. Some of the restaurants are going under as well. And so you know you might not just get people who who have gone for a meal and and want to walk in um, when when that isn't there as a destination either. Yeah, I think before this, like the strategy of a lot of malls was to increase entertainment. So that was mm-hmm. restaurants, yep. movie theaters, playgrounds for kids, and that's actually hit the hardest. So yeah, I think, interesting. you know, like a West Edmonton mall, which is 50% entertainment is probably struggling more than other malls. And then probably their, their tenants are too, because they're not getting the traffic from entertainment. Yeah. It's interesting how it all fits together. I want to shift and ask you a question around mentorship. Um, and I wanted to know whether you had any mentors when you were starting your business or along the, the journey. And if so, what is the importance of mentorship for entrepreneurs? And in your case, as, as sisters specifically, I'm wondering whether you think it's easier or harder being in business with a family member than with somebody who's unrelated. I'm sure it has its ups and downs, but I wondered if you, each of you could maybe comment on, on that dynamic. In the beginning, we had a lot of mentors because we went through the flight path program through Startup Edmonton. So okay. within that, we had two built-in mentors, and then we also were connected to a large group of mentors as part of the program. Mm-hmm. I think it was really helpful in the beginning, but Kendall and I got to the point where we thought, okay, we just need to like think for ourselves because I think <laughs> in the beginning, we were a little bit overly swayed by the advice mm-hmm. and that we hadn't developed like a strong enough filter. For me personally, at least, I probably went like a few years without explicit mentorship. And then in the past couple of years, I actually reached back out. Um, and now I'm part of the Venture Mentoring Service Program through the U of A, oh, yep. which is a yep. mentoring program. And Kendall has joined EO to also have some sort of kind of like mentorships and also peer group support. And, and Kendall, what's, what's your thought on that? I mean, very similar to Justine. I think that there has been great people around Poppy Barley who have shared their thoughts and opinions with us that have really helped us grow. And then when we went through that period where it's like, okay, we just need to figure out what we want our business to be and who we want to be as entrepreneurs. I really did think that we had to do that on our own. And now, as Justine mentioned, I'm part of Entrepreneurs Organization. And what I really love about that group is that it's entrepreneurs only, and it's really rooted in experience sharing. So less about mm-hmm. here's direct advice that I'm going to provide to you, but let me share an experience that I had in my own business. And I learned so much just from listening to other people's experiences. And now I feel capable of being able to take those tidbits and apply the ones that I think would be beneficial to the type of business that Justine and I want to create and the type of entrepreneur and human that I want to be. So it, there hasn't been um, like one mentor throughout the whole, you know, from start to beginning or start to finish at Poppy Barley. I think as we've changed as entrepreneurs and as our business has evolved, the type of people that we need to surround ourselves with has also changed. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really interesting lesson. You know, I think that often what I hear entrepreneurs say is like, I, I'm looking for that one person or I'm looking to find a, a relationship with like one specific mentor. And sometimes that works out really well. And, you know, that can be a really long lasting relationship. But I think it is also important to recognize that as your business grows, 
your kind of unmet needs or, or the questions that you have will change because the, the, the issues that you're dealing with at an early stage versus a growth stage, et cetera, will change. And you're going to want to connect with people who are in similar situations to you, right? And so if your mentor was really good at an early stage, but hasn't really experienced the growth or the, you know, the diversity of, of issues that you're facing, I think it's okay to recognize that you can move on from a from a particular mentor relationship or broaden it a little bit, like you talked about, Kendall, with uh, you know an organization like EO or like Justine when you talked about BMS, um, and and accessing other people's um, experiences that can be relevant to you at the stage that you're at. And I think that's a really important lesson for entrepreneurs to know that. As your business evolves, the the type of mentorship or the type of you know resources that you might be looking for is likely to evolve as well. I wonder. Yeah, and I wondered. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to touch on family and working together yeah, as yeah. family. It was that. kind of a two part question there. So I think that I think there is a difference between working with a family member versus having another business partner that you're not related to. I don't mm-hmm. have the experience of working with someone that I'm not related to. Um, I think that the biggest thing for us is that we first care about each other as people. So Justine is first and foremost, my sister and second, my business partner. And so I think that that leads to like a lot of conversations that really put the human aspect of our relationship and our business first. And I think because we are related, we have the same value set. We were raised the same way. We believe the same things. So that's, like a really important foundation for business partners is that we fundamentally have the same value set and we generally have the same vision for Poppy Barley and where we want to go. And we're also Mm. excellent at disagreeing with each other and being able to table our thoughts very like openly and then moving on quickly. And I think as siblings, you do that your whole life. You fight, you disagree, and then you get over it and you move on. And so I think that that has been like a real asset throughout the last eight years of working together is just this transparency and this honesty that we can have while also having, you know, over 35 plus years of tools of like how we can say what we want to say and then work really hard together to move on from, from the hard conversations that we need to have. Yeah, it's like you got a, a bit of a running start at the at the relationship aspect of having a business partner um, just by having, you know, been been raised in the same family. Justine, what are your thoughts? I agree with Kendall. I'd say overall, it's more of a strength than a con, in my yep. opinion. <laughs> and that, yeah, I think it gives you a really good relationship to work on as a great foundation to running your business. I wanted to know from each of you, what's the best advice that you can give to our listeners who may be thinking of starting this entrepreneurial journey? And maybe Justine, let's start with you. I mean, I think that there's a lot of pros and cons to being an entrepreneur. (laughs) Um, I think that your work becomes a much bigger part of your identity. You're probably more stressed than somebody who's not. And that you also, um, you should really start with having very little fixed life expenses because financially you have to invest some years. Um, and I would say more than one where like, you're not yep. going to be, it's probably not financially worth it. I think, you know, you can get to a place. I think what it gives you immediately is probably creative and fulfilling work that drives you. And then I yep. think that you really just kind of need to stick with it and 
have a lot of touch bases with yourself as you go. Kendall, what are your thoughts? One of the greatest parts of being an entrepreneur is that you are able to design both your life and your business at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's something that Justine and I need to work on is the designing mm-hmm. the life to go with the business. And so right. maybe my advice to everyone is also like the advice that I would give to us right now is that it's so easy to be wrapped up in the business, but really adding the life part back into it and making the business work for your life. I think that that's a really important piece to like make it feel like it's worth it as an entrepreneur. And so in the beginning, you spend so much time business planning and not enough time life planning and how those two go together. So yeah, so I think it's like a really exciting opportunity and one that as entrepreneurs, we should like really grab onto and hold on to and like almost like lead with life. Yeah, that's re- that's really interesting. And I think that goes to, you know, to tie into what Justine said in terms of one of the, the pros being that, you know, you can have a business that or, or you can have work that's very fulfilling and that's something that you're passionate about. And I think, you know, to tie to what you were saying, Kendall, is if you start with your life plan and you start with what what you're passionate about and, and sort of plan what you want your not only your business but your life to look like like as an entrepreneur i think that you must have that essential ingredient of passion or you're not going to be able to achieve that that vision of of something that you that you really enjoy and so i think it i think you've both sort of touched on that in in a different way but i think the kernel that is the same is really around the the passion and making sure that you're on to a a life and a business that is really exciting for you and that has some meaning and that you're going to continue to find joy, even though there will be, you know, the inevitable challenges that, that come along. Yeah. I think we talk a lot about passion and a lot about grit. Like I think you have mm-hmm. to be really gritty. Um, <clears throat> that's I agree. Like the unsexy, the unsexy part of entrepreneurship. Um, but just yep. being really resilient, really gritty. And, and so when you're in those moments where you have to rely on all your grit, you really have to believe in what you're fighting for and what you're showing up for. For anyone who's unfamiliar with Poppy Barley, where can our listeners find out more? The best place is probably our website. So poppybarley.com or joining us on social media. So on Instagram at Poppy Barley. And then we do have two stores, one in Calgary at Market Mall and a second store at Southgate Mall in Edmonton. Thank you both for taking time today to speak with me about your entrepreneurial journey. I really enjoyed it. Great. Thank you so much, Heather. Great. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.